Welcome to the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast, where we bring on exceptional sales leaders to dig into their stories and experiences, get their advice, and most importantly, learn what it means to them to be an authentic sales leader. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and I suggest you grab a notebook and a pen, as every episode is packed with their wisdom and knowledge. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast brought to you by Humantic AI. I am your host, Jeff Kerchick. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest. I um, actually had the privilege of being on a panel uh, with this individual a few months ago and was very impressed with a lot of things she had to say. She's been in sales leadership for, for a little while now and like really excited to dig in and ask you a few questions. So I'd love to introduce uh, Mallory Miranda, who's the VP of Sales at WorkRamp. Uh, Mallory, how are you doing today? Great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, just to get started, maybe if you don't mind, maybe just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role today at WorkRamp. Like you said, I'm Mallory. I'm the VP of Sales at WorkRamp. So what that means is I overlook the leaders of our customer-facing teams on the pre-sales side. Um, so been at WorkRamp since February of 22 or 2022, so about a year and a half now. Um, and it was a long journey to get here, but a great journey to get here. And um, maybe we could start just by talking a little bit about the path that you took to get from individual contributor to where you are today as VP of sales. A lot of people that listen to this podcast are interested in sales leadership. They want to understand the path to get there, um, and you've done it really well. So talk to us a little bit about what that journey looked like for you. Long but rewarding journey. I, I started off in sales, as most people did, as like an outbound BDR. Uh, back in the day at Oracle, they recruited heavily out of colleges. So it was my first job out of college. I had no idea what sales was all about. I had no idea what software was all about, candidly. Um, I went into my Oracle interview talking about their slogan to simplify it not knowing that it was actually Simplify IT. Um, so I'm shocked that I got the job, but started off as a BDR outbounding to like 15 enterprise accounts for a whole year. I only had 15 accounts um, and then worked my way into an account executive and you know was an IC at a few different organizations. And I think that the journey from going from IC to manager, you know, that's usually that first step is like IC to, to frontline manager. To your point, a lot of people are interested in making that move. And the number one question I always ask people who want to make that move is, what's your understanding of what sales managers do? Uh, because I naively thought, and I think a lot of people fall in this category, is you actually spend majority of your time coaching reps. So they're like, oh, well, I want to go into management because I love sales strategy. I love deal strategy. I love coaching reps. And yes, that's, that's a huge part of your job as a sales manager. But I would say I probably spend less than 50% of my time as a frontline manager doing that. Um, so I think that what people sometimes don't realize or forget is that there's so much more that goes into frontline sales management, whether that's like territory building, headcount planning, working cross-functionally, forecasting. Um, you know, your job as a frontline leader is finding ways to create and accelerate pipeline. Um, and that's not just coaching reps to do that. There's a lot more that goes into it. And so I think that um, going from IC to manager was learning about those different parts of the job of a frontline manager and learning from my other more experienced manager peers on how to effectively do that. 
Um, and then making the jump from frontline manager to VP, that was a really big change. And I think the biggest change there is the loss of control. You're one step removed from deals. You're one step removed from the forecast. It requires a ton of trust into your leadership team. It requires a lot of alignment with your leadership team, both like above and below you to make sure that you're all pushing kind of the same messaging and the same behaviors. Uh, And then it's also a matter of time management when you're at the VP level and often overlooking different departments of, hey, who needs my attention and who needs my time most at this moment in time? And that could change daily, that could change monthly, quarterly. Um, So I would say those were kind of the biggest inflection points in my career of the changes of what my day-to-day looked like moving into those different roles. Makes sense. I love the story about IT and it, um, but it seems like you've uh, you've come come a long way, BDR to VP of sales. Um, what like as far when you're when you're making these uh, jumps in your career path, going from you know IC different you you I think had different levels of like frontline management experience now VP of sales. How do you learn you know as you go like how to perform the different functions? You just mentioned that there's like a lot of misconceptions about what people do in these various roles. Maybe you were surprised by some of this, but had to figure it out, right? How much of it is like, you know, on the job training? How much of it is like seeking out mentors or working with peers in the organization? How do you kind of master, um, you know, advancing in the proverbial, you know, org chart? A big part of it is just being a sponge and soaking up everything, observing everything. So I actually learned a lot about going into management from watching other sales leaders, but also watching leaders in other parts of the org. Um, So I remember there at a previous company, there was a leader on the CSM side. So she led one of the CSM's teams. And I just would observe everything that she does. Like, what do you do as a people leader? I think oftentimes we think about, hey, let's just watch our peers in the departments that we're in. But I think you can actually learn so much from people management, from people in different departments. Um, And so I would say a lot of it is just observing. What are other people doing? What are some leadership styles that you want to adopt and make your own? What are tweaks that you want to make? Um, But then I think a really big part of what helped me for these new you know career opportunities is getting really close with your manager. So understand because usually you're looking to eventually do their job. And so those were probably the people I learned the most from. And it's just taking the time to say, you know, we're remote now, but back when we were in the office and saying, hey, do you mind staying a little late on Wednesday and walking me through how you prep for the forecast meeting on Thursday? And just asking those questions. And that can be, that doesn't have to be your manager. That could be a mentor who's in the role that you eventually want to go into. I've been really lucky throughout my career to have really great managers who took that time and really appreciated the curiosity, you know, and, and make sure that you're adding value as well of, Hey, I actually have some ideas, uh, about how we can accelerate our pipeline. I'd love to chat with you about it. Um, you know, can you also tell me how you think through this unique challenge that our team has that, you know, we need 2x more pipeline than we currently have? How are you thinking through that? This is how I'm thinking through it. So make it more of a partnership, um, but just be a sponge, like watch everyone around you all the time. And I think that's harder to do remote now, um, but seek out those opportunities and make sure that you are even just popping into a meeting you normally wouldn't join just to observe what others are doing. Yeah, great advice. 
you know, a couple of the things that uh, you take on in this role are, are around compensation planning, forecasting, uh, like you mentioned before. And, you know, you and I were on this panel like several months ago, so we talked about this a little bit, but I, I think it's, you know, everyone knows that there's been, it's been a wild ride this year in, in SaaS sales. Um, I think the statistic is pretty depressing. It's like 20% of sellers are making their quota and usually it's supposed to be the other way around. I mean, that's what you want it to be. It's like 80% of your team. Um, how do you manage that internally in terms of, you know, expectation setting to your leadership, um, you know, expectation setting with your team? Uh, you adjust quotas, you know, how are you keeping people motivated and excited? Um, loaded question. It's kind of like three or four different questions in one, but would love to hear your perspective on how you navigate through some of the more challenging times, some of these unforeseen scenarios like the one that we're kind of going through right now. Yeah. And I'll caveat by like, there's no one right answer to this, right? I think that depending on the size of your organization, the culture of your organization, this could vary. Um, and I don't think anyone's doing this really great. Uh, we're just all kind of <laughs> trying to do the best we can at the moment. I would say in terms of setting expectations, I found that to keep reps motivated and engaged, they want to know pretty explicitly what is expected of them. So whether that be weekly metrics, whether that be monthly metrics or quarterly metrics, making it very clear of this is what we expect from you in addition to quota attainment. Because in good times, typically it's, look, we expect you to hit your quota. However you get there, I don't care. <laughs> that has always been my philosophy, right? If you can hit your quota by making three prospecting dials a month, good for you. Um, but now with people not hitting quota, you do need to be a little bit more prescriptive with these are the activities that we want you to do that we think give you the highest chance of hitting quota. If, you know, because of reasons more out of our control than usual, you don't hit quota, but you're still doing those activities, we will still consider you an A player at the moment, right? You're doing the right activities. And what we think about at WorkRamp for those activities is control your own destiny, right? So be smart, keep prospecting. Uh, you know, it's a numbers game at the end of the day, but also focus on the lowest hanging fruit. So at WorkRamp, we're really lucky that our account executives get to upsell and cross-sell our current customers as well. So those are, you know, that that's a whole bucket of low-hanging fruit where you have the relationships already. It's typically easier for them to purchase their shorter sales cycles. Make sure you're spending your time on that. Um, and then win or lose as a team. Like bring in all of the resources you have within the organization. If you're doing those three things, then you will probably see some success. Um, so that's been kind of how we've set expectations. We have not adjusted quotas. Uh, I feel pretty strongly that this is a very slippery slope. So again, I think that there are opportunities where you need to adjust quotas at early stage companies where you haven't fully proven out that the quota is that magic number. Um, you adjust quotas all the time. That's very normal. The stage we're at at WorkRamp, we very much feel confident in the quotas that we've given. And we worry that if we were to adjust quotas, you're setting an expectation that whenever there's an economic slowdown, we will adjust quotas. Um, and I think that's a dangerous area to be in. It's also tough because what's the signal that it's time to increase quotas? 
Um, and that that becomes also just something mentally for the reps as well. Of, oh, I have this lower quota, but this fear of they're going to increase it at any moment, the, like as soon as start things start getting better. Um, so we've chosen to keep quotas the way they are, but really, you know, give give people other scores on their rate card besides quota attainment that help them understand how are they doing as an AE within the organization. I love that. It's, uh, you know, it's intellectually consistent. You're also giving people this idea that, you know, focus on what's in their locus of control and you'll consider them, you know, good player, uh, but not necessarily moving the goal marker because, you know, you're setting yourself up for all these different scenarios where it could go up or down. Um, and I like that. That's a great, great way of framing it. It's actually a good segue because you talked about, I, I don't know if you use the phrase locus of control, but same idea. You talked about, you know, the controlling the controllables, I think was what it was. So, um, you know, part of being in leadership, I think, is defining the culture for your team. And, you know, maybe you have mantras like the one you just said, but, you know, a lot of times sales leaders have certain phrases or uh, mantras, or even if they're not deploying like a phrase or something, they still have like a way that they want the culture to be within their team. How do you you know, how do you define that within your organization? How do you like in general think about, you know, the best practices for coming up with like how you want the culture to be within your organization? Yeah, this is something we think about a lot. I think, again, being remote adds an extra layer of challenge to creating a strong culture. Um, But I think it's very doable. So I would say in terms of those mantras, I always think it's a great idea to tie it back to the company values. So this seems so obvious, Um, you know, but I've seen sales orgs before where, you know, the company's touting these values and then the sales org is like in a totally different direction. Um, And so find a way to tie it back to the company values. That's always helpful. So for us, we have four company values. As a sales org, we really focus on the two that are one team and always be improving. Those are the ones that we've really embraced. And we use those mantras repeatedly. So whether it be in the names of meetings, um, whether it be when we give shout outs, we always have to tie a shout out back to a core value. So we're kind of repeating those values. Um, I have like a newsletter that I send out every Monday. Uh, and there's always a section, always be improving. So we're we're kind of, we're naming stuff and we're tying stuff back to those values. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing that we talk a lot about at WorkRamp is bread. Uh, so this is like, you know, I think it's pretty common that you can refer to like money as bread, right? And so we're, we're baking bread is kind of what we talk about at WorkRamp. So closing deals, it's like bringing in bread. Um, and we've really embodied that into our culture in, you know, kind of a kitschy way. But I think that it creates just like a fun sense of belonging. Um, so every Monday, actually, the, uh, the entire AE team meets for two hours on a Zoom and it's prospecting time. And you are only allowed to prospect during those two hours. It is a mandatory meeting every week. We do not miss a Monday. And I think repetition is also really important for like mantras and culture. Um, But we call that the great work ramp bake off. And it's tied to this bread theme. Uh, You know, we have a Slack channel where when you create an opportunity during that prospecting block, it goes into that Slack channel and people will like emoji react with all that. There's so many Slack emojis of 
bread, right? Like croissants, bagels, anything you could think of. Um, and, and I think it's a really fun way to incorporate like that um, more fun part of the culture in, in a something that I think most reps do not find to be the most fun part of their week. No one wants to sit for two hours and prospect on a Zoom. Um, but we found a way to make it fun. We have someone DJ each week. So there's like a playlist associated with it. Um, so I think that that's, that's a good way to say, hey, like we are encouraging these behaviors and the mantra is that you're doing this because it's controlling your own destiny. Um, but we're going to make sure we make it fun for the team. I love that. I've never actually heard of that idea before, but I think it's wonderful. Monday, start the week prospecting. It's not everyone's favorite job, but they're all doing it together on a Zoom. Um, as long as they're focused and they're, they're probably getting they're probably getting a lot more done than they would be on their own. So it has. It really has. And the nice thing too is we we try to again like to the to your question earlier about managing expectations. We try to make it easiest on the reps. And each Monday we have a report and a theme. So, you know, Hey, this Monday, like here's a report. We have all your customers not using this product, reach out with this type of messaging. So we try to make it pretty prescriptive for the team. And we found that that helps too. So it's not just, Hey, two hours prospect, good luck. You know, we're really giving them some guidance there. And we found that the times where we're the most prescriptive are the ones that lead to the most amount of opportunities created. That's fantastic. Great tip for everyone listening. It's definitely something to try out. Um, one last question for you, Mallory, and it's one I try to ask everyone because it's the kind of the topic du jour. You know, we hear about AI and ML all the time, to the point where you kind of want to throw up every time you hear about it. But um, it is, uh, I think, inevitable. And we've been seeing a lot of AI entering the world of sales. Um, you know, there's all different sorts of applications for it. Some people think it's going to replace the salesperson or maybe the SDR. Um, some people think it's there to help people. Uh, some think it's a little bit of both. Uh, where do you stand? What's your take on AI and sales? Are you guys using any AI today? What do you think it, what are the implications of AI in the, the SaaS sales world? Uh, yeah, I think it's inevitable, right? It's here to stay. It's only going to take over more of uh, what we do. So um, I think that We've been leveraging AI with some of the vendors we use. So, you know, Gong, Atrium, some of our favorite vendors there, they have built, you know, some AI into their products. And what I found is that it really, it's helped our sales leaders just become more efficient with their time. So whether that's, you know, being able to, instead of listening to a full Gong call to get up to speed on a deal, just read the quick snippet that Gong provides at the beginning now that summarizes it, right? And provides actionable next steps. Like that's making us all more efficient. Um, so I love it for that. I'm all about efficiency gains, work smarter, not harder. Um, in terms of where it's going, I do think it's going to do a lot with qualification. So prioritization of leads, qualifying leads for us, I think it's definitely going in that direction, helping us better identify who we should reach out to, who we should prospect to, which opportunities we should spend most of our time with. Um, it, it's already going in that direction. I also think that, let's just face it, we're moving towards more of a self-serve model. People want to get information on their own. Uh, people want to be able to get really far in the sales cycle without ever speaking to another human. Um, and AI is going to help with this. So 
What I think is that I think transactional sales will become more automated through AI. That's what the buyers want and AI is helping them achieve that. So I think what's going to happen is that sales teams are going to become more focused on upmarket. Um, I do think there's going to be this shift a bit where sales teams are much more focused on those larger, more complex deals where you do need to talk to an individual. There is more nuance with the negotiation. There is more nuance with more technical product, perhaps. Um, so what I would say, you know, in the way that I'm thinking about it and giving advice to people going into sales now is, you know, get your upmarket shops to be good, you know, practice some of those skills, figure out how to become more of like an enterprise seller, because I think that's where sales reps are going to start shifting more and more. It's a great observation. It's true. I, I think as we have this like very on-demand mindset now, because we're so accustomed to things like Uber and Netflix and whatnot, and so buyers, as they become accustomed to the way the world is evolving, they kind of want to do things on their own terms. So I think you're right. They want to go and get as much done as they can without talking to a person. I mean, you know, a lot of what we do today, for better or for worse, is like avoiding interaction. Even our social media is kind of avoiding face-to-face interaction, right? And so I think you're right. That's it's a, a, a salient point that the enterprise is probably where there will be more opportunity uh, down the road. So love that. Um, well, Mallory, thank you so much. This was really great insight. I learned a lot. I hope people that listen learned a lot. Really appreciate you being here. And uh, thank you for, for spending the time with us today. Yeah, sure thing, Jeff. Great talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to share your gratitude is to share the show with a friend or to drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, keep it authentic. Mm-hmm.